Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Luke's gospel. We are in Luke chapter four this morning. Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 28. I'm gonna read to you in just a moment. And so go ahead and be finding that in your copy of God's word. We began studying Luke's gospel back in December and over the next year, we'll continue to walk through Luke's gospel. Hopefully you've already learned a lot. I know I have, I've taught through Mark's gospel. Actually, I did that here a couple years ago. Uh, I've taught through John's gospel before. I have not taught through Matthew. I look forward to doing that someday. And I have not taught through Luke. So this is my first time teaching through Luke. And man, it's just been really, really cool. I've been learning a whole lot. And again, hopefully you have as well. But Luke chapter four, verses uh, 16 through 28 is where we are this morning. So find that in your copy of the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Because in the seat before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke 4, 16 through 28 with us. If you don't own a Bible, uh, take that Bible home with you. Read it and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 16 through 28 is where we are this morning. Some of you are uh, old enough. If you're like me, you're kind of in that middle-aged or older uh, category. Uh, you remember the day when it was not uncommon that when you went to a restaurant, it was divided up into two different sections smoking and non-smoking. Some of you remember that, don't you? I mean, th- th- we don't do that now and thankfully we don't. Uh, but, but if you were a non-smoker, you obviously did not want to sit in the smoking section unless there were no other seats and you were really hungry and you didn't have a choice since you did and then you, and you suffered your whole meal, right? But that was the way it was, that, that you had smoking and non-smoking. And, and I remember, and I don't know, maybe you, you can remember this, um, um, it just seemed like smoking was just a lot more commonplace than it is today. I mean, and, and, and thankfully so that we've learned a lot and we know the dangers of secondhand smoke and all those kind of things. But, but my grandparents, both of my grandparents, uh, they smoked most of their lives. And I can remember going to their house as a, as a child, as a teenager, and you, you walk in the door and, and that, that smell, you know that smell of, of cigarette smoke. And if, you, if you, you've been in the home of a smoker or whatever, you know how it just kind of permeates everything. And then you walk out of the house and that, that smell goes 
with you. I mean, it's just something about that, right? And, and, and so, and, and I don't know, I mean, if you look at like old, old uh, TV shows, like back in the 60s, those kind of things, that, I mean, all the TV characters smoked. It was just one of those things. And, and again, over the course of time, we've just learned that it's not necessarily a wise thing to do for your body to, to inhale cigarettes. And so, you know, you don't see people smoking as often as they used to. I mean, we still see that. Some people still smoke, all those kind of things. But we've, we've come to understand that smoking is not good for your health and secondhand smoking, even, even breathing in someone else's smoke is not good for your health either. I'll tell you all that to, to tell you about this lady. Her name is uh, Susan Jeb. Uh, maybe you know her, maybe you don't, but she is like uh, an important person in the United Kingdom because she is, uh, uh, I don't know what they call it there, but she's over like their, their food and administration stuff there. And so, so she is trying to help lead the country to make healthy choices and, and to eat well and to, to be nutritious and all those kinds of things. And she made a statement last week uh, that really honestly shocked me. Uh, it was a big time shock. And, and so the, you wanna know what she said? This is wild. You're, you're not gonna believe that she said this, but she said this. She, she made a public statement where she said that cake in the workplace is just as dangerous as secondhand smoke. I know, right? I mean, that is absolutely shocking. And, and, and then she went on to say, she went on to say this. She went on to say that, that every time I see cake in my office, I can't help but eat it. Well, that sounds like a personal problem and not my problem, right? And so, so she's wanting less cake. I mean, for me, I want more cake in the office place. I mean, let, let, let's have more cake. That's not a bad thing, right? But she is convinced that that cake in the workplace is just as dangerous as secondhand smoke. Now, when I hear a message like that, do you know what I do? I laugh at it and I go about my merry way. I ignore it. I mean, she's not gonna change the amount of cake that I eat in my, in fact, I think we're gonna bring cake to the office this week just out of spite, you know I mean? I'm just, I want more cake now. And so, so, but when I hear a message like that, I laugh for a moment and then I ignore it, right? So I, I tell you that, because I want you to think now, think about this past week, uh, whether you were on the television or whether you were listening to the radio in your car, whether you're on social media or YouTube or whatever media you consumed this week. How many messages did you hear this week? A lot. And with those messages that you heard this week, you had to make a decision. You had to either make a decision to, to reject that message, to, to kind of laugh it off or whatever the case may be and just go about your merry way. Or you heard some messages this week that you chose to receive. The point is, is that, that this week you were bombarded with messages all kinds of messages. And you made a choice, whether consciously or, or uh, subconsciously or unconsciously or whatever the case may be, you made a choice to either receive that message or reject that message. Jesus came bringing a message. And I just wanna remind you this morning, it is downright dangerous to reject the message of Jesus. Now, here's what I also know this morning in this room. In this room, a lot of us really do struggle in our faith. And I get that. I mean, we all go through seasons where it feels like we're, we're walking really well with the Lord. And then there are those other seasons where it seems like we're not walking really well with the Lord. We go through those seasons of struggle in the faith. And, and I wanna propose to you, I think, now, now watch this. I think that the reason why we oftentimes struggle in our faith, struggle in our walk with the Lord 
It's because in that moment, now watch, in that moment when we're struggling, we're making a decision to not fully embrace the message of Jesus. We're not listening to him. And when you don't listen to his message, when you don't respond to his message in faith, it leads to a struggle in your faith. The passage of scripture we're looking at this morning, man, it is super, super powerful and helpful. And if you're someone like me who finds yourself struggling in your faith at times, I think this passage has for us two truths that are gonna help us in those struggles, help us in those struggles to listen to the message of Jesus. Take your Bibles, Luke chapter four, verses 16 through 28. Go ahead and if you have that passage and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Luke four, beginning in verse 16, this is what the Bible says. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, Dr. Hill yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. He also said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, drove him out of town and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time together in your word. And what what a privilege we have right now to open up the Bible which we believe, we're convinced is your word. And we study scripture together. You are revealing yourself to us, the God of all creation, making himself known to us through your word by the power of your spirit in this moment. And so we have every reason right now to tune in to what you're saying, to listen carefully. And we have every reason to trust you, to live by faith, to embrace the message of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, as you speak to us now, help us to listen well and help us to respond to your word in faith and in obedience. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know where we are in Luke's gospel. It's just been a a fascinating story that, that Jesus has begun his public ministry and it begun at his baptism. At his baptism, the heavens opened up, the spirit descended like a dove and the voice of the father said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We looked at last week how Jesus was in the wilderness tempted by the enemy 
And, and, and Jesus was able to do what the first man, Adam, was not able to do. He was, with, he was able to withstand temptation. Jesus is able to do what none of us are able to do. He is able to withstand temptation and the enemy for us. And he's victorious in the wilderness and he would be victorious, obviously, at the cross. But we, we have seen now the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And now Jesus' ministry right here in Luke chapter four, it is well underway. And so let me show you something, for example, you come back and we didn't read these verses, but let me read them to you now. Come back to verse 14 in chapter four. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've been keeping up real well or not, but, but several times now, Luke has told us a couple of things, that Jesus is either being led by the Spirit or he is full of the Spirit. Luke, the gospel writer, he wants us to be very well aware of the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus. So again, Jesus being led by the Spirit in the power of the Spirit, he returns to Galilee. Now what's interesting, and this is going to help you as we go forward in Luke's gospel. What's interesting is how Luke divides up his gospel. So here we are, and Luke tells us that Jesus is in Galilee. The first half of Luke's gospel, we're really gonna focus on Jesus's ministry in the area of Galilee. So if you go with me to the Holy Land in 2024, we're gonna spend several days retracing the steps of Jesus in Galilee. He spent most of his earthly life in this area, ministering to the people. It's lush, it's beautiful, it's around the big lake, the Sea of Galilee. It's a wonderful place to visit, and it's wonderful to retrace the steps of Jesus there. But most of his ministry takes takes place in Galilee. In Luke chapter nine, towards the end, there's a shift. And from Luke nine to the end of the gospel, what we read about is Jesus's journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. We get to trace his steps on the way to his death. That's how Luke organizes his gospel. So here we are in Luke chapter four, and we are in Galilee. And, and, and look at what it says. When Jesus returned, verse 14, to Galilee and the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was, listen to this, teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. Now, here's what we know because we read it later on in the passage. And I don't wanna get ahead of myself, but we're gonna find out that, that as Jesus is teaching and preaching in Galilee, he's also performing miracles. But notice in verse 14 and 15, that Luke says nothing about the miracles of Jesus yet. After we get past the story of Jesus at the synagogue in Nazareth, Luke is going to give us some stories about the miracles of Jesus. Up to this point, Luke hasn't really told us about the miracles of Jesus. He's performing miracles, but Luke hasn't focused on those yet. He's going to, just not yet. Why not? Here's what I think, because Luke wants you to know, Luke wants me to know that, that, that Jesus has come, right? He's not just a miracle worker. He does miracles, but that's not what he's come to do, just to perform miracles. Jesus has come to proclaim a message. He's got a word to tell us. The kingdom is here. Put your eyes on me. I am the king. And so Jesus comes teaching and preaching and he's getting popular. He's drawing great crowds to himself. He's preaching. Mark's gospel says he preaches as one with authority. And then you come to verse 16 that we already read. He comes to his hometown, Nazareth. The hometown boy is home. Now, if you go with me to, to Israel in 2024, we'll visit Nazareth together. And, and Nazareth today, it's a, it's a big city, about 75,000 people. But in the days of Jesus, it was a town of about, about 500 people. We already talked about this back in December, that, that Jesus, his family was from the middle of nowhere. 
But now he returns the hometown boy to the middle of nowhere and word about him is spreading. And now it's the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, what you do on the Sabbath is you go to the synagogue. And at the synagogue, someone preaches. And why not Jesus? Why not let Jesus preach? This, this son of Joseph, we, we hear so much about him and what he's saying and what he's doing. Give him a shot, let him preach. Now, I don't know what you know about the synagogue, but in ancient Israel, the synagogue was a big deal. I had opportunity over the years to, to visit lots of synagogues in Israel. And it's, it's really fascinating, kind of the story of the synagogue. So when you go to a synagogue, you walk in and, and what you'll see is you'll see, see benches kind of in the round. So what the synagogue was, in a lot of ways, it was a community center. Uh, There would be various things that would take place at the synagogue during the week. Uh, And in most cities, the synagogue was where the kids were educated. Uh, They would be sent to synagogue school, if you will. And and they would memorize, this is wild. They would memorize the Torah. Could you imagine your children coming out of, of grade school with the first five books of the Old Testament memorized? That would be wild, but that's what they did. And so, so they would memorize those first five books of the Old Testament. And then on the Sabbath day, it was a day of, of synagogue service. And so you would walk in and you would see these benches in the round. The men would sit on one side. The women would sit on the other side. And in those days, what happened is, is the people that got to sit on the benches were really the, the well-to-do in, in, in that city, uh, the wealthier or the religious leaders. And, and the common folk would sit on the floor. And, and, and in that synagogue, there was a, a Torah closet. And in this closet were kept the ancient scrolls and they were, they were brought out. And they were brought out and they were put in the center. And, 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 and someone would get up to read uh, from the scripture. Each synagogue had, had what the New Testament calls a synagogue ruler. Someone who was like the caretaker of the synagogue. They would make sure that the facility looked nice, right? But on, on that Sabbath day, that Saturday, they would make sure that there was someone to read from the ancient scripture. And there was someone who would bring a word, a message, if you will. And the way it worked in those days is that that in the synagogue, uh, lots of different males would read and teach. It wasn't just reserved for the religious leaders or, or things like that. Uh, any male, good Jewish male, could, could have an, a turn at reading the scripture and preaching. And so what would happen is someone would read from the Torah and then someone would read from, from the writings, maybe a Psalm or a proverb, and then someone would read from the prophets and they would all stand up while they were doing this. And then after the prophets were read, there would be a message. And that person, that man who was giving the message, he would sit in the seat of Moses. So, you know, here we stand uh, when, when, when I read scripture and, and, and then you sit down and I stay standing. In those days, right, if I were in the synagogue, I would sit down and I would teach as I sat there before you. And so here we are. Jesus is in the synagogue and he stands. He reads. He's going to preach a message. Now, I would not have been a good preacher in the synagogue because you, you've been here and, and, and I, I tend to preach for a long time. In the synagogue, it was always a short message, several minutes. Wouldn't you like to go to the synagogue? But it was always a short message. And so Jesus stands up. And, and what, what Luke 4 tells us is that, that as Jesus is there in the synagogue, he's handed, he's given the scroll of Isaiah. Now, you are familiar somewhat with, with the book of Isaiah in your Old Testament. It is a wonderful book filled with what? prophecies about the coming Messiah, who we obviously believe is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, the Messiah who was there. Now watch this, in the synagogue in Nazareth on this particular day, he could have, 
He could have read from any passage in the book of Isaiah. I mean, I don't know. He could have read from Isaiah 53. You're familiar with Isaiah 53, that that famous passage in Isaiah uh, that talks about the death of Jesus, the sacrifice he would make. But Jesus strategically chooses to read the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 61. Listen to what it says. You see it in in your Bible here in Luke chapter four in verse 18. It says, the scroll was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. It's so good. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and sat down. Now, Now, I need to stop right there because it's interesting what Jesus does. Jesus reads Isaiah 61, one and two. Now watch this. And he stops mid sentence. There's more, but he doesn't read the more. He stops right there. Let me, let me read the more to you. So if you read the rest of Isaiah 61, verse two, it says something like this. It says, to set the free oppressed, or excuse me, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. The rest of that verse talks about the wrath of God. But Jesus in this context doesn't read about the wrath of God. Wrath is coming but not now. When Jesus is on the earth, it is a day of God's favor. Why? The Messiah is here. Salvation is here. And there's a hint in this verse. Now watch this. There's a hint in this verse in in Luke chapter 4, 19, when Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, verse two. Now, come on, you got to hang with me. Come in real close. We'll make sure you get all this. There's a hint of this idea called Jubilee. You ever heard of that before? Back in Leviticus chapter 25, we read about Jubilee. Jubilee in the nation of Israel was supposed to take place every 50 years. Every 50 years, it was like a great reset. All the slaves were to be set free. All the debts were to be forgiven. All the land was returned back to its rightful owners and the land was to receive rest. It was a great reset. Now, The reality is we don't know if Israel ever celebrated the Jubilee because when you read the pages of the Old Testament, it's never actually recorded for us that they actually observed the year of Jubilee. Maybe they did. We just don't know because the Old Testament doesn't record that it ever happened. But now, now watch this. Now, this is so good. When Jesus reads this verse from Isaiah chapter 61, verse two, he is the Jubilee. You see what I'm saying? He is the one who has brought about through his life, his death, his resurrection, watches the great reset. He's reset everything. And so look at what it says. Come on down. Everybody's still awake? Everybody's good, right? Listen to what it says. You come down, it says in verse 20, he then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He sits in the seat of Moses and all eyes are on him. Been waiting. Jesus is popular. They've heard about his message. Everybody wants to know what Jesus is going to say. Look at what it says. Talk about a short sermon. Verse 21, or excuse me, verse 22. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. What a sermon. 
short and to the point. He's saying to the people there, that's me. I'm the one. I'm the one anointed by the spirit to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to set free of the oppressed. I am the one. And what, what Luke, the gospel writer tells us is that everyone is amazed by his words. Is he? This is the Messiah. He's the one. And, and to be honest, I mean, they could relate to Isaiah chapter 61. They knew it. They were oppressed. They were captive to Rome. Rome had come in and bullied them up. And if you lived in that ancient culture, what you wanted was freedom from Rome. Is this the one who's going to bring us that freedom that we long for? And then they got to thinking, wait a minute. Is this Joseph's son? He's like us. He's not a king. I mean, Joseph, the carpenter, he trained this boy to be a carpenter. Jesus made my kitchen table a few months ago, right? I mean, what, what do you, the scripture is fulfilled and all of a sudden this doubt begins to creep in their minds because when they look at Jesus, what they don't see is someone who looks like a Messiah. He's the one. How can this be? And what the people don't see in this passage is they don't see Jesus for who he is, but not only do they not see Jesus for who he is, they, they don't see themselves for who they are either. Because what they think they need is freedom from Rome, freedom from oppression. But what they really need is what church? And you know this, come on, come on. You know what they need. They need freedom from their sins. They need freedom from, from eternal death. And when Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, one and two, that's what he's talking about. I am the one who has come to set you free from sin. You're spiritually blind. I've come to restore your spiritual sight. You are oppressed uh, by the evil one. I've come to set you free from that oppression. Uh, you are held captive by your sin. I've come to set you free from that captivity. Jesus has come not to deliver them from Rome, but Jesus has come to deliver them from themselves, but in their spiritual blindness, they cannot see Jesus for who he is and they cannot see themselves for who they are either. And let's be honest. Let's be honest. You're going to struggle in your faith too. If you don't see Jesus for who he is and you don't see yourself for who you are. I mean, first truth I want you to think about from this passage, just, just real quickly, think about this. You'll struggle in your faith until you see yourself as Jesus sees you. And so the question is, is this, how do I see myself? Because he, and just let's camp out here for just a moment. Because every one of us, we see ourselves in a certain way. And the way that you see yourself, it really does. It shapes your perspective of life. And the way you see yourself, not only does it shape your perspective of life, it affects how you act in this life. Let me give you some examples. For some of us in this room, we see ourselves as what? Deserving. Worked hard all my life, right? I put my time in. I deserve a good day. I deserve a pat on the back. I deserve that car I want to drive. I deserve that house I live in. I deserve to make a, the grade because after all, I've put the work in. Or, or, or we think of ourselves not only as deserving, but as, as proven. 
I've been around the block a few times. You should listen to what I have to say because after all, I've proven myself or maybe it's self-sufficient. I see myself as self-sufficient. I can do all things in my own strength. I can overcome, bring on the challenges. I can do it. I can pull myself up by the bootstraps and I can make it happen. And so for some of us, that's how we see ourselves. And so we act based on that. If we see ourselves as deserving, then we walk around with what? A sense of entitlement. The world owes me, for example. Some of us maybe don't see ourselves like that, but we have a a different view of ourselves. Some of you in this room, you see yourselves as, let's be honest, unlovable. You think about some things you've done, your past, mistakes, how you've caused hurt in the lives of others. And how can anybody ever love me? Or you think about it this way. Some of you, you see yourselves as just really lonely. It seems like no one cares. I'm all alone in this life. And that, that, that way you see yourself, does it not? It begins to affect the way you think, the way you act. You see how you see yourself, it really does determine in a lot of ways the direction you will take in your life. And how you see yourself and how Jesus sees you maybe in two complete different ways. Let me tell you how Jesus sees you. And this is gonna sound like bad news, but it really is good news. In love, Jesus sees you as someone who is wrecked by sin. Doesn't sound encouraging, does it? But Jesus in love sees you as someone wrecked by sin. And Jesus, who is a savior, knows what to do about that. And that's Isaiah 61. I have come anointed by the spirit to to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to restore spiritual sight, to give you freedom from your oppression. I have come to do those things. Jesus sees you for who you are, who you really are. Someone whose life is absolutely wrecked by sin. And Jesus, the savior of the world, the Messiah knows exactly what to do about that. Now, here's what I know. What I just told you is not new to you. You already knew that. But now watch this. Knowing that and then acting upon that are two different things. Um, as I've gotten older, uh, you know, things change in your life. And this might be too much information for you. And if it is, I'm sorry, tune out for a minute and then come back later. But, but, but one of the things that I've, I've been struggling with is, is my hearing is getting worse, right? Like I just have a hard time. You can ask my wife. I'm, at, I'm saying what all the time. It frustrates her. She's been asking me. I know part of it's selective hearing and I'm really good at that. Uh, but, but she's been asking me to go to the, the doctor to see what's going on and all those kinds of things. And, and so several months ago, um, Pastor Trey, Pops, where are you at? You in here, buddy? You're, you're here, Pastor Trey, way back, Trey back in the back. He sits in the back because he can hear really well. And let me tell you why he can hear really well. Because a couple months ago, he went down to the Walgreens. And he gave the Walgreens lady there at the counter 50 bucks. And that Walgreens lady brought out a middle-aged torture device. A pressure washer. And she stuck that pressure washer in his ear and pulled the trigger. And you can ask Trey the amount of pressure that went towards his eardrum. But after that, Trey came back to the office after spending $50 and he could hear. Great. He's got 20-20 hearing. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what he's got, right? He hears really, really well because he was willing to sit in the chair and let some lady at Walgreens take a middle-aged torture device and put it down his ear. I'm not willing to do that. I mean, I... 
I want to hear, but not that bad. You understand what I'm saying? And so, so, so Stacy wants me to go to the doctor to see if they can do that little, little, with a little less pain involved. And she's been even on YouTube trying to find some remedies for my, my need to clean out my ears. You know what I'm saying? And so now she's got some things that she wants. She, she's not a doctor, a nurse. She has not one day of medical school under her belt. She's just watched a YouTube video. And so, so now she thinks she can clean out my ears. Not gonna happen. You understand what I'm saying? Now, here's the deal. I know the problem. I can't hear. Not only do I know the problem, I also know the solution to go to Walgreens and let some lady torture me for 30 minutes, right? Or let my wife torture. Either way, I'm getting tortured, but that's the solution, you see? I know the problem. I also know the solution, but I ain't doing anything about it. I've settled down in my inability to hear well, and I'm okay with that. Now, I tell you that, tell you this. Some of you have done the same thing in your walk with the Lord. So I'm saying, you've settled down. You know that your biggest problem is your own sin. And you know that Jesus is the solution. You know that he wants to do a work of grace in your life. You know all these things, but you have chosen to settle down and stay in this place of complacency, this place of stagnancy. And you refuse to really look at yourself for who you are and look at Jesus for who he is. But it gets better. Look at what the story says. Now, come on, we got to move. You come down and it says that he rolled up the scroll. He sat down. He said, today, uh, this has been fulfilling your hearing and, and, and the people are amazed. And then they begin to question, isn't that Joseph's son? Jesus knows where they're going with this. I don't know if you know this or not. And maybe you do know this. If you don't know this, you need to know this. Jesus is pretty good at reading minds. He knows exactly what they're thinking. And so he says it, listen. Then he said to them, no doubt you will quote me this proverb. Doctor, heal yourself. What we've heard that took place in Capernaum, do here in your hometown also. I know what you're thinking. You've heard what I've said, but you ain't gonna believe me unless I do something. Unless I, I heal somebody, I call somebody to see, do some kind of miracle like I did in Capernaum, you're not gonna believe me. You're not gonna listen to my word unless I do something to prove to you who I am. I don't you know if you know this or not, back in those days, uh, doctors did not have quite the medical knowledge that doctors do now. And so if you went to a doctor in ancient times, uh, you were pretty skeptical. Prove it, doctor. Now, Jesus says, you're looking at me like you look at a doctor. You're telling me to prove it. Do you see what the problem is? Jesus is saying to them, here's the problem. You won't accept my word for what it is. You want me to prove something to you. You want me to show you something. You want me to do something for you before you choose to listen to my voice. And that ain't the way it works. And it's really masterful what Jesus does. So what Jesus does is he takes them way back into their Old Testaments. He takes them back to the story of Elijah. And in the days of Elijah, Jesus says, there were all kinds of widows that lived in Israel. But God sent Elijah, the great prophet, outside of Israel to, to a different town inside to a widow who, who had no food because it was a famine. All she had was a little bit of flour left for her and her son. And Elijah told this woman to do what? Before you make some bread for you and your son, make some bread for me. Can you imagine that? It's kind of an audacious statement. Feed me first. That's what Elijah says. Feed me first and see what God does. And so what happens? This widow does exactly that. 
and then all of her needs are provided for in abundance. And then later on, there's another prophet, Elisha. Sounds like Elijah, but a different man, Elisha. And there's a Syrian commander, not an Israelite, a Syrian commander who has leprosy. All kinds of people in Israel had leprosy in those days, but here's a Syrian commander. And long story short, he is sent to the house of Elisha. I heard you can heal people. Hey, I need a healing, do it. Elisha says, okay, go down to that nasty river and bathe yourself in it seven times. See what happens. And at first, Naaman, this Syrian commander, he refuses. I'm not, I'm not going down that nasty river, but ultimately he does. He goes and he bathes in this river seven times. And then after he does, what happens? He is cleansed completely of his leprosy. Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's saying, go back to your Old Testament and see what happened. There were Gentile people. You claim to be the people of God. You claim to be all right with God. But there were Gentile people back in the Old Testament who believed God simply based on what God told them. Not asking, prove it, but simply believe God based on what God told them. Took a step of faith based on what God said and then saw God work miraculously. You want it the other way around. You won't believe me until you see something. That's not the way it works. You believe me first and then you will see me at work powerfully in your life. Now this message enraged the people. They got angry because they were, Jesus was essentially saying, or he was saying, the faith of these Gentiles is far greater than your faith. They ran him out of town, took him to a hill and tried to throw him over and kill him. And Jesus miraculously escaped. But you see what's going on, don't you? What they wanted from Jesus was the same thing a lot of us want. They wanted more. Because in that moment, even though Jesus said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing, I am the Messiah. For these people on that day in that synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, that was not enough for them. And here's the reality. For some of us in this room, the death of and resurrection of Jesus that has saved you from your sins and given you life abundant and eternal. For some of you in this room, that's not enough. To know that you have eternity with him is not enough. But it should be because at the end of the day, that is all you need. In this life, all you need is the finished work of Christ on the cross because the finished work of Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection guarantees you life abundant and eternal with him. It is more than enough. We look at Jesus and say, I thought I'd get more than that. I thought there was more to it than that. And so let me help you understand this real quick and, and we'll try to end our time together. You'll struggle in your faith until you see yourself as God sees you. And you'll also struggle in your faith until you fully embrace Jesus's word. What's his word? What's his message? I am the Messiah who has come to rescue you, to set the prisoner free, to to, uh, release you from captivity, right? So just a couple questions real quick. One, really, what do you expect from God? Probably a lot of things. For some of us, it's what? God impressed me. Much like these people in this story, show me something to prove yourself, impress me. For others, it's something else, right? Now, come on now, listen, this this is true. For some of us, it's stir me. It's almost like Jesus is, is, is our drug that gets us high. 
I'll feel good about God and I'll feel good about life when I have this emotional experience. When the right songs are sung and the preacher preaches in just the right way and I get those holy goosebumps, that's how I'll know. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm looking for. For some of us, something else is God, entertain me. God, give me the good life, entertain me, make, make, it, make it happen. For some of us, it's just God, help me. I just want you to fix all my problems. And we, we have these expectations of God, but let me help you understand this. What should I expect from God? Now, God is a God of blessing. God does heal disease. God does, you know, give us wisdom in our problems, all those things. I'm not saying that he doesn't do that, but, but here's what you should ultimately expect from God. Are you ready? And I know this is a Sunday school answer and I know this is gonna seem quite basic to you, but you have to understand this. You know what you should expect from God? Now watch, you should expect him to save you. That doesn't impress you, does it? You thought there was more to it, but that's the mission. That's why Jesus came. And that's why follower of Jesus, Jesus leaves you on this earth to participate in that mission that he is on to rescue the perishing. And when I talk about salvation, I mean the total package. You see, when you and I think about salvation, we think about that day that we maybe came down a front at a church and asked Jesus into our hearts. Or we think about that day when we were with a friend and that friend led us to faith in Christ. We think about that moment in time, but salvation is far greater than that moment in time, isn't it? When I think about salvation, I think about the total package, what God is doing in my life right now that I have been saved. When I was a child, I gave my life to Jesus. But right now in the present tense, in this moment, I am being saved. That right now God is sanctifying me. He is doing a work of grace in me, leading me to Christ's likeness as I grow in the fruit of the spirit. I have been saved. I am being saved and praise God, there's coming a day that I will be saved, that Christ will return and I will be glorified with him for all of eternity. It's the total package. And that my friend, that total package is why Jesus has come. He has come. Now watch this to save you. And that, my friend, now come on, come on, listen, listen. That, my friend, that, oh, my friend, is more than enough for you. To be totally and gloriously saved by Jesus, it's enough. You'll struggle in your faith until you get that. Let me just be honest with you. You'll struggle in your walk with the Lord until you understand the word of Jesus, that what he has come to do is to save you. And saving you looks like you growing in your faith. Saving you looks like you putting sin to death. Saving you looks like you growing in your knowledge of the word. Saving you looks like you growing in the character of Christ, the fruit of the spirit. That's what saving you looks like. And so, so think about it. That's what I should expect from God. So, so I just want to leave you with this before we go. If, if that's what I should expect, then I really should. I know this is Sunday school, but just stay with me. I really should listen to Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Some of you are like me, you're hard of hearing, maybe not physically, but spiritually. That Jesus's message to you could not be more clear. But, but on a day like today, I know this because I've been there. On a day like today, there are some of us that are choosing, instead of tuning into that message, we're choosing to tune out to that message. Or think about it. And, and, so some of you know this to be true right now in your lives. You have people that surround you. They're speaking truth into your life. Come on, come on, listen, listen. There are some of you in this room that you are struggling in your sin. You're choosing and you know it. You're choosing rebellion. 
But in his grace, here's what God is doing right now. In God's grace, he's put around you a spouse that's praying for you, a spouse that's speaking truth in your life, but you refuse to listen. He's put around you a church that constantly pours truth into you, but you refuse to listen. Right now, he's put around you maybe some friends, a discipleship group, I don't know. But right now, God in his grace has surrounded you with the truth, but you don't wanna listen. You're hard of hearing. We can be so hard-headed. And part of the reason why we're so hard-headed, now watch this, is because we're far too focused on what we want God to do in our lives God, do this, help me, rescue me, do this, do this, do this, instead of focusing on what God wants for your life. You see what I'm saying? And so here we are in this room. And I think really for a lot of us, the response to a message like this, is just coming before God and saying, God, I, I, I realize it. You speak to me loud and clear about the work you want to do in my life. You want to save me gloriously. I have been. I am being, I will be. It's the work you want to do in me, but I am so hard-headed. And on a morning like this, maybe for some of us, it's just coming before God and confessing your hard-headedness. Because you will always struggle in your faith until you see yourself for who you are, see Christ for who he is, and, and embrace this message of salvation completely in your life. You see? And then learning just to cooperate with Jesus. That the Spirit of God right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, lives inside of you to help you to walk by faith, to empower you for spiritual growth, to help you live out the salvation that you possess in Christ Jesus by faith. I've got to listen and I've got to cooperate. And I know what some of you think, right? You mean I got up this morning and drove in the rain to church to hear this blonde-headed punk tell me to listen and cooperate? Why, yes, you did. Because that's what you need. It's what I need. This is how you grow in faith and get out of those struggles by listening and cooperating. And for some of you in this room this morning, it's for the first time hearing the good news that Jesus proclaims in Isaiah chapter 61, that there is a Messiah who has come for you because there's some in this room this morning who has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And for some of you this morning, it's believing that because God loves you, he gave his only begotten son who lived the life that you could not live perfect in every way and then went to a cross and died in your place and took the punishment of your sin upon himself and then rose from the dead three days later so that you could be gloriously saved by faith in his finished work. And if you're in this room this morning or watching online and never placed your faith in Jesus Christ today, listen to the call of the spirit on your life and respond by surrendering your life to Jesus turning from your sins and turning to him. We're gonna have a time of invitation. And in the corners of this room, there are two crosses. And at those crosses, there are gonna be people there ready to pray with you and help you today. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ today, go to one of those crosses. We would love to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number on the screen, text the name Jesus to that number. Let us help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. And now if you're in this room or if you're watching online and you are a follower of Jesus, Respond. I don't know how the Spirit is speaking to you in these moments, but I bet you for some of us that the Spirit right now is just convicting us of our hard-headedness and our hard-heartedness. And maybe this morning for a lot of us, it's just saying to God, God, forgive me of being so 
stubborn. Help me to listen and cooperate with your spirit. Father, thank you for this morning, for time together in your word. It's good. It's good to study your word together. To hear the truth from the, from the mouth of Jesus. And thank you that in your love for us, you have sent your Messiah who has come with a very clear mission to save us. And Father, if there's one in this room this morning who's never experienced salvation in Christ, who's never been born again, I pray that person this morning would turn from their sins and turn to you by faith. And Father, for those of us who are your children, I pray this morning uh, that you would lead us to repentance, that we'll confess our hard-headedness to you, and that we would choose this week to listen to your voice. I know you're speaking to us in lots of different ways, primarily through your scripture. And as you speak to us, Father, help us be a people that respond to you. Lord, have your way in these final moments, we ask. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet. As we have a time invitation together, you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.